Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. So in this episode, we're going to cover a bunch of things. There's been, once again, a lot of stuff that's happened in the world of SEO. Uh, There definitely has been another algorithm update, which seems relatively significant. And this one seems like an odd one. So I'm going to give you my opinions on what Google is doing here. Um, And we have a bunch of tips of just things that people have tweeted out, things that Google has said. Uh, And so we're going to get into uh, a lot lot of things that hopefully will help improve your search presence. Um, so let's get started right away. Algorithm updates. There really was something that happened between October 21st and October 24th of uh, 2018. Um, I think Glenn Gabe had noted that October 22nd, I think, was the date he had seen a lot of changes. I could be wrong with that. Um, I saw in all of the clients that we have Google Analytics access for, I saw a lot of changes that were somewhere between the 21st and the 24th. And these are not seasonal changes. It's an odd thing, though, because these changes are not reflected in SEMrush, which is usually what I use to take my screenshots for my newsletter. Um, I'm always a bit reluctant to put client analytics data in unless I completely can anonymize it or I have permission from the client to do that. Um, And usually the SEMrush data lines up with what I'm seeing in terms of uh, significant algorithm updates. And almost every site that we checked that saw either gains or losses at this time um, had almost a flat line in in SEMrush. So the question that I'm asking is why? Uh, And there's a few possible reasons for this. One of the things is it could be that maybe rankings haven't changed, but clicks have changed. And one of the reasons why that could happen is if a site perhaps um, was a victim of uh, uh, losing featured snippets. Uh, Something that Glenn Gabe had noticed is that uh, now for some uh, YMYL queries, your money or your life, Google is showing actually a doubled featured snippet. And that means that all of the organic results are pushed that much further down the page. And so it might be that you haven't lost rankings, but Google is stealing some of your clicks um, in the form of featured snippets that maybe either the clicks go to another site or maybe your answer is completely given in this featured snippet. So that's one possibility. Um, I do think that there's other uh, possible reasons. It's possible. So SEMrush, uh, as far as I understand, they get their estimates for traffic on this sort of combination of uh, high value keywords combined with what the PPC cost is for the keyword. And they try to make it so that like if you're ranking really well for competitive keywords, that that's reflected uh, in their results. And I'm almost wondering if perhaps this change um, has made it so that irrelevant keywords uh, are less likely to send you traffic. And what I mean by that is, you know, maybe you haven't changed your rankings for your most important keywords, but if um, you, you know, maybe you lost a whole bunch of long tail searches for things that Google figured out, like actually your website isn't the most relevant to send those to. Um, Hard to say what's happening. I do think, though, that there is some type of a link component to this update. And I know I say that often, but something that I noticed was that um, several of the sites that we had recommended link audits for that actually hadn't gone ahead with link audits uh, saw drops on uh, around October 21st, 22nd or so. Um, There's one site that we uh, commonly uh, we reviewed a few months ago, maybe even a year ago now. 
where we warned them. We said, look, your link building tactics, they're going to catch up to you one day. Um, you know, you, they had tons of guest posts in sites that nobody would ever read, really not authoritative sites. And those links, I think in the past, were really helping this site. And this site, they were hit uh, with an update earlier in the year. And then they saw a further drop on October 24th of, uh, of this year. And so I think that Google is just all of the changes that have happened in October. October, I think, um, are related to Google figuring out which links to trust. And that actually brings us to a very interesting point. Um, there was a really good article by Systrix, and they looked at the winners and losers of the Medic update, which was August 1st, and some of the more recent, uh, you know, the, the changes, September 27th, that were a, probably a tweak to Medic. And one of the things that they noticed is that Almost every site that saw dramatic changes on August 1st was also dramatically affected by a Penguin update in the past. And so what we can learn from that, maybe, I think the conclusion that they're trying to draw is that Medic had something to do with links in the sense that um, the sites that, let's say you were hit by Penguin back in, uh, I don't know, October of 2013, and uh, you saw a massive drop. Well, that would be because you were overdoing it in terms of links. And those sites are more likely to still be overdoing it in terms of links today, um, but just not in quite as spammy ways. So uh, let me see if I can explain this first. Further. Perhaps a site that was hit in uh, with Penguin in October of 2013, they probably had a bunch of ultra spammy links that were um, devalued by Google. So like low quality directory links, low quality articles, uh, things like that. And those sites often would figure out, all right, we're not going to do this low quality directory link building anymore, but let's find other ways that we can build links to try to convince Google that people are recommending our content. And then what people were doing is this kind of higher quality guest posting, um, you know, still trying to find ways to exchange content for links. And I truly believe that Google's getting better at figuring out, um, you know, that guest post that you wrote the link that came from that site really wasn't because that site is trying to recommend your content, right? It was there as an exchange of content for a link. And uh, I do think that Google, with each of these updates that we've had, Google is just getting better at figuring out what the legitimate links are. So I've had some discussions with uh, a bunch of really smart SEOs on this topic, either on Twitter or in forums, um, a few personal discussions as well. And the thing that always gets pointed out to me, uh, there's a great discussion on the local search forum about, um, it actually started with, uh, uh, Joy was um, talking about an interview that I had done. And I was talking about how I think Google is uh, putting less emphasis on links. And I think it got misinterpreted. I think some of the people were saying, oh yeah, if you're saying links don't count anymore, then I can disprove that. Um, and that's absolutely not what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to say that links don't count, but rather good links are the ones that count. Um, and so there were some people in that thread and in other discussions I've had that have said, look, we're still doing link building and we really feel like it's working. And these are people that I trust. I mean, there's some people that uh, in SEO that will say, oh yeah, you know, this tactic is working great for me. And it's really just a marketing thing for them to get more business. Um, these people who are saying this, I trust them. I trust that they're, they're able to get good links to their clients and that they can see that those links are actually helping. But the key there, the key word in what I just said is good links. So 
I think that there will always be a place for link building, but I think that many of you who are listening to this podcast right now are spending so much time, effort, and probably money building links that Google is ignoring. So if your main focus is in trading something for links, whether it's content, uh, you know, some of you are probably still paying for links, um, but uh, if you're trading something and the way, the main way that you're getting links is uh, in an exchange of content for a link back to your site, there's a good chance that that's going to lose its effectiveness. Um, You know, there are still people that are getting away with PBN links, private blog network links. And again, I think that if you can build a PBN that exists of like really high quality sites, uh, that it can work for quite some time. The problem is that those sites are very difficult to find, you know, And, and I'm not condoning building PBNs by any mean. Um, I think, you know, uh, this wasn't in the newsletter, but John Mueller tweeted something just recently uh, asking, hey, SEOs, what is actually working in terms of link building? And you know that the web spam team is actively trying to make it so that uh, the only links that count are the ones that truly are people saying, I really want to recommend this content. So, that's a little bit of um, a soapbox for me. I just want to uh, end that discussion in saying, you know, I don't think that link building is dead, but I do think that the only type of link building we should be doing is truly producing stuff that people want to to link to. Um, And it's totally okay to promote your content. Actually, Google's got a guide on SEO and they actually have a whole section in there on how to promote your content. Um, And so if I produce something new, you know, sure, I'm going to tweet it out at some of my followers and say like, hey, you guys interested in this? Um, And my content that attracts links, it doesn't attract links because I have um, a relationship with somebody where I can exchange content for those links. It attracts links because it's stuff that people truly want to talk about. Um, And that type of content is really difficult to build. But I would highly recommend, you know, focusing on that type of thing, create research, uh, you know, um, cultivate research, find if there if you're in a topic area where uh, there's really heavy scientific research, then take that information and put it into layman's terms and then spread it out to the press. You know, you can say, hey, this new scientific study just showed that blah, blah, blah. And if you want to know what that means, then we've explained it for you. Um, That's the type of thing that truly, truly can attract good links that I think Google wants to count. Moving on, um, there was an interesting article by Barry Schwartz talking about Google News. There's some type of a problem with Google News where there are sites that really should be included in Google News and for some reason they're not getting included. Uh, and so if that's you, apparently it's a bug and uh, Google is working on it. So um, I don't have a lot of information on that, but that's something that you, uh, if you're struggling with getting into Google News and you really think you should be included, it might be because of this bug. Um we talked about how, uh, let's see, uh, Glenn Gabe was saying there's double featured snippets that are appearing. And so I haven't seen these in the wild yet, but um, but this is more things that can take clicks away from your website. So um, the more you can do to win featured snippets, the better. Uh, and really, I think that this, um, the reason why Google is going so hard on featured snippets is that these are the answers for voice queries. So as more and more people get um, used to actually talking to their phone, 
phones and using their Google Home and things like that, um, Google wants to make it so that they have really good answers in the form of a, you know, on desktop, it would look like a featured snippet, uh, but on a voice query, it's an answer. So uh, I've written tons of stuff on the best way to get featured snippets. And I mean, things change all the time, but if you just Google my name and featured snippets, you'll find some of my advice on uh, how to win those. Um, that was an interesting uh, thing that Barry Schwartz brought up about how unnatural links could get your rich snippets removed. So rich snippets, we're talking about having uh, things display in the search results, such as stars, um, review stars is, is an example of a rich snippet. And one thing that um, uh, we've talked about this before, but basically Google does not want to give rich snippets to websites with quality issues. So if you have a lot of unnatural links, then it's certainly possible that, um, and I think what Barry was talking about is if you have an, uh, a manual action for unnatural links, then Google probably doesn't want to show your uh, rich snippets. So if you've lost your rich snippets, then uh, it could be related to links. It could be related to just overall site quality. And that can sometimes be the canary in the coal mine where, um, you know, it's the first sign that, hey, something is wrong with Google's assessment of quality for our site. And we need to be changing things and improving uh, upon the site as a whole. Um, Let's see what else we'll talk about here. Uh, there was some interesting tweets about um, apparently Search Console is sending out some emails to some people uh, telling you about slow load times on your site. I actually have not received any of these and I'm on Search Console for hundreds of sites. So I don't think that this is something that's uh, widespread, but, um, and who knows, maybe it's a test on Google's side. But the email that goes out says uh, to the owner of example.com, Google has noticed that your site's performance is significantly below average. Um, and then it talks about, you know, ways to fix that and using Lighthouse to audit your pages and determine what's wrong with it. So if any of you actually have received that email, I would love for you to, um, you know, to let me know. Uh, probably the best way is to, if you're a newsletter subscriber, is to leave a comment on my newsletter uh, to say, yeah, I got that email too. Um, because it's a little bit unusual that I haven't seen other emails of that kind. Well, that's what makes me think that maybe this is some kind of a test on Google's side. Um, this was really interesting. And I, uh, you know, at PubCon Vegas, Gary Ish said something that he has said this before, and I've commented on this before, but really nobody's making a big deal of it. And I think it should be a big deal. What he said was, and this is a quote, it matters quite a bit where the content on the page is. We differentiate between centerpiece content and boilerplate, but even within centerpiece content, where the content is matters, although it has much less weight than boilerplate versus centerpiece. If you move something up in the page, probably that's better for the page in terms of the search results. So I, what Gary's saying here is, uh, you know, you want to have your main keywords near the top of your page. Um, and that's fascinating stuff, right? Uh, and so that sounds like something that would be a really good thing to test. Um, who knows, maybe I can get one of my team on that once we start doing some more SEO tests again. But uh, for now, just take note of that. I mean, um, you should make sure that the main keyword you want to rank for is definitely listed on the page that you, uh, on your page. Um, and then uh, now make sure that it's listed high. You know, I would like to see it in the above the fold content, which is the content that people see before scrolling down. Going back to featured snippets, uh, there was an email or a Twitter, a tweet by Tung Tran who noticed that 
uh, a new type of featured snippet. And so the query that he did, I think was like best vacuums for pet hair. And they pulled out a list from Mashable.com, which is not anything new. The lists as featured snippets are pretty common. But what happened was every one of those list items uh, was an image at the top and that didn't come from Mashable's article. So there's like a Dyson and you know some other types of vacuums and if you click on those it opens up new search results. Um, you know so now I just see searches for Dyson vacuums. Uh, and this is one more thing that Google's doing to try to improve the user experience but it's really unfortunate for um, you know Mashable's going to lose some clicks for that. So that's something to watch for if, uh, if you're seeing a reduction in clicks and you're the type of site that actually gets a lot of featured snippets, you may want to start looking at what those snippets look like. And, you know, are, maybe you're losing some clicks uh, to Google and not to competitors, which is uh, kind of a, a frustrating thing. Oliver Mason had a neat uh, discovery. I don't know if this is a new thing or if this has been sitting under our noses all the time, but in the old version of Search Console, so not Search Console beta, um, if you go to the robots.txt tester, that's the part um, that tells you whether there's a problem or whether you're blocking pages that potentially could be uh, important for Google to crawl. But if you um, click on the line where it says the latest version is seen on this date, they actually have past versions in there. Uh, and so if you're trying to figure out if something has changed in your robots.txt file, you might be able to actually see that in Search Console. Now, uh, Dan Schur tweeted again, and he's talked about this before, that you can actually also do the same on archive.org. So archive.org keeps uh, a history of pretty much, you know, the majority of websites on the web. Um, and in a lot of cases, they also archive your robots.txt file. So, um, you know, if you're trying to figure out if a change happened or you accidentally um, blocked your whole site from being uh, crawled and you want to figure out when that happened and who you need to fire, no, just kidding. Um, then, you know, those are two different ways that you can potentially get this historical information. Another really interesting uh, thing is um, that Google, uh, John Mueller has said that Google caches JavaScript and CSS files for a fairly long time. Now, he didn't say what fairly long means, but his point is in saying if you're trying to test things um, and you have content that is reliant on JavaScript in order to be displayed, then uh, it might be that Google doesn't pick up on those tests right away, even if they've recrawled your page. So if you're trying to do some tests and a, a large portion of your page is reliant on uh, Google being able to interpret your JavaScript, then you might have to be patient. It may take months for those changes to um, be recognized by Google. A uh, little bit of info, this is not really an SEO thing, but I thought it was significant to put in there. Uh, Google News, if you're using Google News on your phone, um, there's a bit of a bug where it's actually taking insane amounts of data. Uh, it can upload up to 10 gigabytes of data in one night uh, just to use Google News. So um, I don't know if this is fixed. I, I think they've been working on fixing it. But if you are using Google News on your phone, then uh, you might want to make sure that you're on a Wi-Fi connection or that you have a really good data plan. Otherwise, um, otherwise you're going to be probably charged a lot of money just to read the news, which is not really a cool thing. Somebody asked John Mueller on Twitter a question about meta descriptions. Now, meta descriptions, so for those of you who are beginners, uh, that's a tag that you can put in the HTML of your site. And so you say, well, the meta description is, and this is the, the words that you 
really want Google to use as the little snippet below your um, URL in the search results. And so if you see, you know, the, the three lines or what whatnot that are um, under your result on the Google results, that's usually your meta description. However, um, often Google will just rewrite your meta description. Uh, if it looks like there's something else they could pull out of your page that would be better answer, a better answer for a user's query. So I years ago decided, look, if Google is going to pick out what's best, then why do I even need to write a meta description? Um, so for, for the most part, I usually recommend leaving meta descriptions blank. However, John uh, just said in this tweet, he'd say, he said, I generally recommend specifying one, meaning the meta description, as you know your content best. So I'm going to revisit that recommendation that I've made in the past. I think that um, in cases where you're competing for clicks, uh, let's say as an example, if, if you're an e-commerce store and um, you know, you're selling a product that many competitors are selling as well, and it's a very competitive search term, one of the things that you really want to optimize is for clicks, um, meaning that uh, you can look at the results and if, you know, all your competitors have like meta descriptions that are like really enticing. So maybe they're saying, hey, we have a big sale or uh, we've been ranked, you know, number one in terms of selling this, um, whatever, you know, look at their uh, snippets that come out in the search results and determine whether they're more enticing to click on than yours. And then you might want to make some tweaks to your meta description in the hopes that Google picks that up um, in order to uh, to get more of those clicks. So I'm not going to spend a whole bunch of time on that, but uh, I am going to pay a little bit more attention to what I put in meta descriptions these days. Um, Chrome 70 apparently is going to have PWAs uh, that are fully installable on Windows. I don't really know a lot on that. I just thought I'd mention it because I know for some of you this is really important. So um, you can dig out the tweet from the latest newsletter. Uh, you can reach the newsletter at mariehaines.com slash newsletter and um, you can go to the latest episode. Uh, it's episode 55 that we're talking about today and, uh, and get more information about that. Those of you who use Google Docs and Google Sheets and um, all those types of things, uh, this is a pretty cool little hack that you can um, just in the, your URL bar type http colon slash slash doc dot new or sheet dot new, uh, N E W, and it'll just automatically open up a new Google Doc or a new Google Sheet for you. So that's a little bit of a time hack for you. Um, a cool thing about Ahrefs, uh, they're now allowing you to do searches with in URL in it. And so the example that Tim uh, Sulo gave was uh, you could do um, a search for the most popular content for link building and then uh, put in URL colon resources. And what that's doing is it's finding pages that actually perform well for the term link building um, and have the word resources in the URL. And uh, so if you're doing outreach to try to get people to link to your content, um, then this is one of the ways that uh, that can help you with, with doing that. Um, somebody asked whether... Uh, you need to have, H, it, whether it's better to put your hreflang 
in your sitemap along with your HTML. Um, and this can get super complicated. I mean, in some cases, uh, if you can't put hreflang in your actual code of your document in the HTML, uh, you can put it in your sitemap as well. It's not something that I've ever done. Uh, and what John Mueller said was that either option was fine and that there's really no benefit to having it in both places. So most of you probably don't need to worry about that, but I think that probably speaks to some people who are uh, struggling with hreflang. Um, let's see here. We've got some stuff also in the newsletter about EAT. That's kind of the big thing everybody's talking about now, right? Expertise, authoritativeness, and trust. Um, and I would be, it would not be a proper podcast if I didn't spend a bit of time talking about EAT. Uh, somebody asked John Mueller whether it improves your EAT if you actually have a physical store address. Um, and he kind of gave a very googly answer that basically said it depends, <laughs> um, which is a very common answer for uh, for John to give. Um, and it really does depend. What we do when we do our site quality reviews is we look at whether competitors actually have a physical um, a presence and whether kind of use our brains to say like, would users expect this? You know, so um, an e-commerce store that completely just exists online still could be very trustworthy. Um, an e-commerce store that also has a storefront and a physical presence, it's possible that they might be seen as more of an authority and more trustworthy. So I think the answer to this really depends on what's expected in your industry. Um, we have seen cases where we felt that sites dropped uh, because there was a lack of trust. Like the, the quality raters guidelines talk about, um, you know, is it possible for you to contact this business? Is it very easy for you to contact them? Is it easy for you to find their terms and conditions or information about refunds? Um, and so if you're trying to run, you know, an online business, you need to have all of those aspects there that you would expect in an offline business as well. Uh, SEMrush is looking for writers. And so um, I just thought I'd put that in the newsletter because uh, you can get a lot of traction if you can get published on SEMrush. And, you know, I see all these people that are like, oh man, I need more business. I need more, uh, I need to build up my brand. I need people to know who I am in SEO. And then I see SEMrush saying, oh, we really, really need good writers. Well, you guys need to connect. Um, so if you are looking, I mean, if you are a good writer and we've connected in the past, I would be happy to connect you with one of my um, contacts at SEMrush. And, uh, and recommend you as a writer. So, um, you know, let me know about that if, if uh, I, I mean, assuming that I have connected with you in the past. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I find that when I publish something on SEMrush, uh, I get loads of business from it. So it's uh, really, really a good resource. They have a very, very large audience, and I would highly recommend. Um, and don't be afraid of, about writing things. One of the problems I find in the SEO industry is that people will... Uh, write an article and then people will critique the article uh, and the writer says well why would I ever do this again everybody's just picking apart my stuff and I think that as an industry we have to be really careful I mean it's one thing to have a good discussion about a topic but I think we really need to respect the people who took the time to write that article um, so I'm not saying we shouldn't disagree with people but I'm saying if you do disagree uh, and you're leaving a comment 
I usually try to, you know, say something that's uplifting first to say like, hey, I really appreciate that you put the time into writing this and I respect a lot of your points, but I took issue with this, you know, that type of thing. So anyways, um, don't be afraid to put yourself out there and write. Don't feel like you have to be a world-renowned expert before you can write on things. Most of you who are listening to this, you have an area of expertise that probably I don't have. You know, you you have something that you're really good at that you've seen in your clients or um, on your own website. And probably you could write some good articles that could help a lot of people. So I'd highly uh, recommend that. Um, we're almost at the end here. Uh, I thought this was a really interesting thing that came up in a help hangout where somebody was asked about in the new, uh, search console, there's the section for, um, index coverage. And there's a lot of URLs often that are marked with submitted URL has a crawl issue. And often if you click on that URL, and you run it through Fetch's Googlebot, it actually is fine. Google can crawl it just fine. If you put it through PageSpeed Insights, you can see it pops up as a rendered picture on a screenshot. And like Google is legitimately seeing the content. So why would they mark it as the URL has a crawl issue? And what John said, in this particular case, the site actually had set a limit to how many URLs Google could crawl. And uh, once Google reaches that, then they can't crawl more. And so this triggered this, it's kind of a dumb warning, right? Like, why don't they say, you've exceeded the number of URLs that you've told Google can crawl, something like that. Um, But so the point is here, if you're seeing that message, submitted URL has a crawl issue, you might want to look at, um, you know, whether Google is getting stuck crawling pages that they shouldn't. You know, maybe there's some type of trap where Google's stuck in an infinite space and crawling all these search pages and and things like that. Um, So that usually means that there's a problem with thin content, Um, you know, massive amounts of thin content existing Uh, on your site. So it's definitely worth looking into. Those of you who run affiliate sites, uh, I was just reading Google's guidelines. I don't know if you know that Google actually has guidelines on affiliate sites. And um, I put a bunch of stuff in the newsletter. I mean, really, it comes down to are you actually providing value um, so that people would want to land on your site as opposed to directly on the vendor site. So, you know, if I'm looking to buy... I don't know, uh, well, I just bought uh, a new adapter for uh, one of my computers and I bought it off of Amazon. Um, If you have a website where you're talking about uh, all the different adapters um, and here's your different choices and here's a link to Amazon where you can buy it um, so that you get an affiliate commission, you have to think like legitimately, would I want to land on your page or would I want to just go to Amazon and buy it? So Amazon, I mean, that page, it's got all these reviews, it's got similar products, it's got all the specs there. So it's not enough for you to just have a few reviews and the specs and here's how you'd use them. In order for you to thrive as an affiliate site, you have to be providing value that makes people say, oh yeah, this is totally much more information than I can find on Amazon. And that's tricky. So if you run an affiliate site and you're seeing drops in traffic, um, especially in conjunction with algorithm updates, then that's something you want to look at is how much value you're um, providing to users. And that's often a really difficult thing to do 
because to you it's valuable. So, um, you know, that's something actually in the future we want to launch as a, a, a service where we just look specifically at, I mean, this is part of our site quality reviews right now, um, but we look at uh, how is your site actually providing value as compared to those that are already out there and then giving you uh, some tips on how you can improve that value um, to make it even better. Uh, one more thing about EAT. Uh, somebody asked John Mueller about author EAT. And, um, you know, he talked about say, recommending that you do actually have a bio on every page um, where it's applicable. So if you have an article and an author has written something, then have an author bio that talks about um, why they're qualified to write that post. But one thing that he added, which I totally had not thought about, and I feel kind of silly for missing this now, is uh, adding schema to those pages. So there's schema um, markup for author and also creator. Uh, I think either of those would be sufficient. And, um, you know, I'm not going to go into all the details of how to add schema. Uh, you can do it just by adding code to your site. Uh, there's WordPress plugins that can do it. Um, but the point is, if you everything you can do to sort of make it super clear that this is the author of the content and this is why they're qualified to write this can help speak to your EAT. We'll just talk a little bit about local SEO. Uh, Joy Hawkins noticed that um, a bunch of reviews have gone missing from some uh, GMB pages. Uh, and these are mostly reviews that were left, uh, oh no, sorry, ratings left. Um, where they didn't have a review. So it used to be that you could, um, you know, you could rate a business as five star, but you didn't necessarily have to leave a review. And those are not being shown now. So what we don't know is whether that's a bug or whether uh, that's the way things are going to be now that Google doesn't want to count your um, star rating unless you've actually left a good review. Somebody asked, uh, what size of image is best to use for Google Posts? And there was a nice tweet from Joy saying what they recommend is 750 pixels by 750. Um, so that's a good thing to know. And I think the last thing that we'll talk about here is beacons. I've had a few emails recently from uh, business owners that have said, hey, um, Google just mailed me this beacon and I have no idea what to do with it. So I haven't actually seen one in person, um, but I believe the idea is that you set it up in your business and then Google can figure out, oh, you know, all these people just walked into your business with their phone and it connects to your beacon. And so Google can see which people, you know, if those people are using especially Android phones, uh, Google can see which people are visiting your business. And one of the things, it was a good discussion in the local search forum, one of the things that we think is happening is that let's say I walk into a store, the store has a beacon, the beacon recognizes that I've been in that store. Um, and we know this happens because I get these notifications all the time that says, oh, you're in Walmart. Do you want to know more about Walmart? Do you want to know, you know, can, can you answer some questions about Walmart? Things like that. Is this a romantic place? <laughs> I had that for McDonald's once. Um, I answered no, but who knows? It could be. The point is, though, that uh, people with beacons, uh, stores with beacons, their users are more likely to be asked to leave a review. So it probably is a good thing to have a beacon in your store. Um, it's still kind of new technology, so we'll see, um, you know, if we can get more information on that in the future. Uh, 
So that's all we've got for this episode. Although once again, we've kind of gone over time here. Um, I'm going to be away for most of next week. I'm speaking at the RD Summit in Brazil. It's going to be my first time in South America. So I'm super excited about this. Um, if any of you are going to be in Brazil for that, then please do come up and say hi uh, to me. And I'm going to spend a few extra days on the beach, which is something that uh, it's been a long time since I've done that. I've been working super hard at uh, building this business and hiring people and getting things running. So I'm going to take a few days off next week. So I might not be reachable. That said, my team is always available. Uh, you can reach us at help at mariehaines.com or mariehaines.com slash contact. We'll get you the contact form. Um, if you're interested in having my team and I review your site, then we're still working through our waiting list, but we're getting there. And so uh, we'd love to add you to the list. Um, and if you're looking to sign up for the newsletter, then mariehaines.com slash newsletter, and you can get all of this information plus more uh, every week. So we'll see. I'm not sure um, whether we're doing a newsletter next week. We'll have to see how it works out with all the travel, but uh, it may be a little bit longer than a week before we do our next edition. So hopefully that's helped. Um, I wish you the best of luck with your rankings this week, and um, we'll be in touch soon. <laughs>